What's up, oh, what's up, man? How's it going? What's up, guys? Happy to have yeah. you on the show, man. Sure, man. Yeah, appreciate the invite. Congrats on the dub. Congrats on the dub. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really do much during it. I felt like you guys lost it more than we won it, just because MB couldn't do anything. Uh, I mean, I mean, I fell short too much. Uh, MB was getting double teamed throughout the whole night. So, I mean, Mitch locked him up pretty good. It's not really oh. his fault, so... No, dude, Mitch played a terrific <laughs> game defensively, bro. He really did. And also, it was good to see Kemba out there making his shots tonight. That was... Uh, yeah, this felt like the first actual Kemba game without how played. 100%. Like, once he hit a shot, and I forget if it was like Korkmaz or Niang, one of their faces, it was like, okay, yeah, this is the Kemba game right mm-hmm. here. My boy, my boy Niang. Yeah, yeah, you played I- with him, right? Yeah, he, him and he was at those practices with Netherlands. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. No, nah, Georgia, see, that's another dude. I mean, goddamn. He was – like, it's wild to see, like, how good he was back then. And then, like, now he's, like, one of the bottom rotation players in the league. And I'm like, dude, he used to dog everybody in that gym. Like, it was light work. Because it was light work, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, that was uh... – a. I mean, we can kick off with the intro in a sec. I'm just getting set up here. I thought Yang looked good. He had a, he had a nice three, corner three. Solid. Definitely a solid role player, man. He can handle and pass the rock pretty well for a guy his size. Derek, I wanted to ask you, Furkan Korkmaz really impressed me. Has he taken a leap, or am I just late to the party? No, he's absolutely uh, taken a leap this season. I mean, <laughs> last year I was on – the the wagon of I wanted him included in a trade package. I mean, I was also trying to get Simmons off the team at that point, and <laughs> I was trying to still like the roster still needed help. And I thought Corkmans was going to be a good trade chip because, of course, he was on an expiring deal as well. So I figured, you know, mid season if you can get something for him, assuming he's going to ask for too much money in the off season, I figure why not. But he came back on a rather team friendly deal, and he's looked the best out of. All of the second unit guys were guys that we thought would take a leap forward for sure. Like on both ends of the ball too. Like he's really, he looks like a dog on defense. Like in the passing lanes, in people's faces. It just looked, looked really good, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, like I've liked Corkmaz for like the past couple of years. Like Mike, what you're saying, man, his defense, that's definitely not something I anticipated getting, you know, to – even this level, you know, I always thought he was going to be an offensive guy and then kind of a chair on defense, but looks like he's, you know, bulked up. Or not bulked up, but, like, at least he's a little more solid than he was, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, Derek, you can tell me if that's that's correct there. That's how at least I feel. But I always liked his offensive game, man. He definitely has some potential. For sure. Uh, Lucas, I think the, the big thing for me is his core strength has really developed uh, as well as his agility. I mean, that's – that's why he's able to move, I feel, far better than he has in the past. Because, I mean, you're right. He was basically a chair, a turnstile, what have you, on defense in the past. And that's kind of why I was like, yeah, I'm out on this guy. If he's just going to be a catch-and-shoot guy, like quick release, like how much value does that have by itself uh, on a contending team? But he's improved immensely. And, yeah, his hands were, I mean, just terrific. Like the motor obviously makes the difference on defense, you know, because that's pretty much half the battle, if not more. But his hands were super active. He was willing to try and, like, move for position, and especially on Randall. I'm sure you guys saw that in the end of the first. Mm-hmm. That was terrific. I, I like him trying to box out and body for position on clearly a much bigger and stronger guy. I was like, ooh, we got a chance here. And then Corkmoss had a chance. We didn't have a chance. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine we'll, just, like, we'll even, 
even six months or ago or like last year, even thinking for a second that Korkmaz could hold his own against Randall on defense. Yeah, no. Like, sounds just ridiculous, but we saw with our own eyes tonight, he actually did a pretty solid job there at the end of the first. Yeah, and Korkmaz is sneaky tall as well. I mean, that's that's another thing. It's like, the very least he can get a good contest, being, you know, 6'7", decently long arms. And he is sneaky athletic, which I think, you know, he should still use to his advantage. I think guys kind of, like, slack off thinking he's going to be too slow. But, I mean, hey, that's the uh, Turkish dunk champion right there. You know, Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, wow. that's his thing. That's his thing. I mean, he showed off a little bit with that reverse uh, from that pass by yeah. back door from Andre Drummond. Man, he got up there. His head was at the rim pretty much. I was like, okay, Korkmaz. Yeah, okay. yeah. He's been sneaky athletic for a while. Um, I'm trying to remember what uh, my friends end up calling him. He had like a fun nickname. It honestly might be on basketball reference. We'll find out in a second. Um, but yeah, my a few of my friends are tremendous Korkmaz fans, so... I'm sure when I see them, I'll have to eat my words for even thinking about uh, him. Don't tell me it's Ferky because that's what it says on uh, on Basketball Reference. Oh, I no. That I was going to say, I hope that's not, not it. it. I've got to think of like Corkscrew or like Cork. Yeah, Mike, you're the know. nickname guy. so I'm, I'm trying here. Um, Listen, uh, what about the, uh, you know, speaking of nicknames, we saw a nice play from Quick Top tonight, Mike. A little pass inside from Quickly for <laughs> yeah, an that's my favorite. That's Kobe. my favorite that nickname nice. I've come up with recently, Quick Top. Uh, <laughs> Quick but, Top. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <clears throat> dude, oh, can we talk about Obi for a second? He looked so good. Absolutely. I mean, it further proves the fact, Tibbs, which, by the way, you guys need to learn how to pull your starters. That's hilarious. But uh, <laughs> Obi, Obi, Obi definitely stayed in the gym. His bounce went nowhere from college. Mm-hmm. And the hustle. I mean, that's that's what's going to earn him rotation minutes, and that's what Tibbs is going to look at. It's just he's jumping out of the gym, and he's hustling like crazy. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, either two or three, two at least, three of his buckets were on putbacks. And yeah. I mean, that's where his value lies, but, like, you have to hustle to get them. So, you know, shout out to him for that. He just yeah. knows where to be. He is in the right place every single time, and I'm probably wrong. He's probably turned the ball over, but from what I can tell, he's making all the right decisions. It, he looks better than some of the vets, so just oh. a great player this year. If Obi has a positive assist-to-turnover ratio, that's good. That's, like, yeah. a good thing. It was 2-1 to one tonight, and I'll take that every time from Obi. If, if, you know, his turnovers are staying down and like, it is kind of like night and day compared to what he looked like last year compared to like, just not even like skill wise. Like obviously Derek, like you said, he's been in the gym. You know, we heard him say he was doing two a days quickly all summer, but Mike, like to your point, like he just knows where to be. He doesn't look like that deer in the headlights where he looked like yes. all last year. So that is really, really promising. Went from yeah, deer the- in the headlights to gazelle in the sun, you know, yes, just precisely. Out there. <laughs> precisely. Yeah, I liked how the Knicks spread around the offense tonight, though. I am with you, though, Derek, as far as resting starters. At that last possession there, I saw, like, Julius, you know, when he got – I don't know, was that Paul Reed? I don't know who was pressuring yeah. him. Yeah, yeah it was um, Paul Reed. And, uh, and Julius fell down. I'm like, please, was that Julius? Why is he even in the game right now still? like, uh, But, no, I do like how the Knicks, you know, they, they spread it around offensively. And, you know, Mike, my Derek Rose take – Dude, it's not looking, looking pretty good bad, right now. my guy. Looking pretty it's bad. It's not looking good right now because because D Rose, I mean, he's really playing well. You know, the ball stuck a couple times in his hands, but it's not really as much of a problem as I really saw it being. You know, he's playing super well. He's moving the ball. You know, he, he's getting his, and I think he's he's really doing well. So I might have to walk that back, man. I might have to just admit that I was wrong. 
Adiro's hunts that um I don't know if you saw Ritz on Nick's film Twitter. He's I, I sent it in the chat to uh the DM Twitter DM group chat. Anytime anybody goes under a screen on Derek Rose, he always shoots a three every single time. Mm-hmm. And he'll always say, like, you can't do that. Can't do that. And it's just hilarious. I love that he does that. I feel like I got off topic. What was your question? I mean, I was just saying I like how the Knicks were oh, spreading the ball take, around. Oh, your D-Rose take. To oh, yes, win, yes. Derek, um, Lucas said that he doesn't think that Derek Rose should be on the Knicks. Listen, no, okay. I can let That's me defend, take. Let me defend myself a little bit, okay? So what I said was I basically felt for with what the Knicks brought in this summer, you know, with Fournier and Kemba being that, you know, burst of offense – I would have rather brought in somebody who, you know, could, could some secure some perimeter defense a little bit more, uh, who doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful. But Derek Rose is playing so well with the ball in his hands, I can't really say shit, to be completely honest. So uh, at this point, you know, I'm not looking too hot with that one. Well, Can you I mean, at least understand my logic, you know? Right. I was going to say, Lucas, I, I think I understand that logic. But I think certainly post the Kemba signing, I think the rotation – that you can have with Kemba and D Rose really fits like a glove. And I think that mm-hmm. helps that offense tremendously. The fact that Kemba, that the Knicks can survive. And I think they will for most of the regular season. We'll see in the playoffs can survive with having Kemba on the floor as a defender and be able to bring in mm-hmm. D Rose to kind of help like, and that's a, a bit of a plus I think is pretty impressive. So, yeah, I mean, I think D Rose was just too much of a, you know, offensive plus, especially last season. Where it's like you can't just let him go, you know? No, especially in the playoffs with how he played. I mean, so I obviously understand why they brought him back. And honestly, like I'm saying, I think it looks like I'm I'm probably wrong with this one. I know it's only only four games so far, but, I mean, he has played super well. I mean, like you're saying, it is impressive that the Knicks can put Kemba out there on the floor and not really be too much of a minus defensively. I know Mike and I were a little bit concerned about the defense slipping this year, and I feel like rightfully so. It hasn't looked Absolutely terrible. Like tonight was a terrific defensive game holding you guys under 100 points. Right. I mean, the rotations were phenomenal. And I mean, that's, you know, that's what I'm watching at is like Fournier getting to his spot, Kemba less so, but Kemba's still getting to his spot before, like knowing the ball is going to continue swinging. And you kind of have to get a little instinctual or think ahead. And the fact they were, I mean, that's just terrific. I mean, what was killing me, and I wish. The Sixers were watching the Knicks uh, the way I was. The Knicks were making hard switches as opposed to like these soft double teams. And while it can look, you know, like almost the same at times, that was the huge, that was a, a tremendous difference. And I mean, obviously the Knicks were able to capitalize with so many threes, but like these soft double teams and then leaving your guy as opposed to just committing on the switch, like obviously. Fournier on Embiid or Fournier on Harris is a mismatch on paper, but you know Robinson's still behind you, and no one's been able to be has been a huge threat to pull him out of the paint. So I appreciate the Knicks for staying home and not being afraid to switch, where the Sixers obviously were. Yeah, I mean when you have Mitch down low, it's like you don't really have to worry about that. And I think uh, Ariel Pacheco on Knicks Twitter said, like once. Nerland's Noel is back. Like the Knicks are going to have 48 minutes of solid, big defense, defense like a, yeah. a solid defensive anchor. And that's going to be just hell for anybody playing them. Cause now your wings have that option, that fallback option. And you know, however you want to play it, it, it you're, you're at a disadvantage. Lucas. No, I mean, no, I think I totally agree, man. I mean, Nerland's coming back is going to make it like, you know, a little bit better, you know, uh, I don't know how many minutes, um, 
Taj ended up actually playing tonight. I can check. I mean, Taj played 20 minutes, you know, uh, Mitch played 29. So it'll just be good to get that third big in. But speaking of Mitch and the interior defense, I mean, Derek, I was saying to Mike before you hopped in here, like, I don't know, you know, the last time I watched Embiid play a game where he seemed like he impacted the game offensively in such a small manner. He only took seven shots tonight, which is like, I know the Knicks forced that to happen, but I'm just wondering, when was the last time you saw, you know, Embiid kind of get stifled like this? Right. I mean, I think, I mean, certainly this season has been pretty rough. I mean, I don't know if uh, either of you guys have been able to catch a couple of other Sixers games, but against the Pels, you know, that's a, a game where you feel like it's an easy 28 or 30 piece for Embiid. And there's not so much a reluctance to shoot, but he's not forcing anything, but also the opportunities aren't there. And obviously for the Pelicans, that worked out because Embiid still got 20, but three other guys got 20 as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Mitch is a great defensive matchup in favor of the Knicks, obviously, for Embiid. But those double teams were forcing him to pass. And I think, to Embiid's credit, his passing has has improved a lot. I I had a disagreement with some people on Twitter in the Sixers fandom. You know, They're claiming he's making strides. I just don't see it because if he's making passes a hair sooner – the Knicks will actually get punished for slow rotations and the double. But do you see that um double by Fournier? I think it was a shot clock violation and Mitch was guarding yeah. him. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the right I was like, yeah. Embiid could have made a pass there. Like it, it was there. I was confused as to why he didn't. But I think, uh, and sorry if I cut you off there, Lucas, I think the big thing for Embiid is he is shot first. And this is going to sound like a, a wild comparison, obviously coming from a Sixers fan, but his game does mirror Akeem Olajuwon's a great deal. And a, a fault of Olajuwon, obviously a Hall of Famer, all-time great, he would miss reads way too often because he was score first. I'm, I'm in the post now, so I'm looking to score. And his vision would lack, and Embiid has that same flaw. So he'll make a pass, and normally it's going to be a hair or two too late. But sometimes, sometimes yeah, like when that double came, he just – was waiting for an easier pass when he just needs to get rid of the ball. And that's yeah. so funny because it's like, pick your poison. Uh, do you want Ben Simmons who won't take the shot and only passes, or do you want Joel Embiid, you know, uh, that's just... Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, despite what Jeff Van Gundy may say, uh, the Sixers move the ball better without Ben Simmons. And, I mean, I'm not sure if that's a topic of conversation tonight, but I think the team... Again, with a better, more experienced point guard than Tyrese Maxey, will look a lot better offensively, and the ball will move easier. And Embiid did improve on some of those reads. Like the 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 best pass I saw all night was Embiid faking a pass going right back left once he saw Kemba was sagging off of Seth Curry, which is a wild gamble by itself. <laughs> but he made that pass, which set up Seth to drive, you know, take Kemba off dribble and make a midi, and that was a terrific read that Embiid has to improvise, which, you know, I think it's a sign in the right direction. But, yeah, Lucas, to your point, I mean, this was the one of the worst offensive games I've seen from Embiid in quite some time. Yeah, no, and there was a couple plays where, I mean, Embiid did make good plays when I put in my notes, you know, a couple late rotations, but there was really nothing the uh, the Knicks could have done about it because, like you're saying, Embiid made those, those passes before he looked to score, but that was only, you know, maybe once or twice throughout the game, honestly, it felt like. I mean, you know, I do think Embiid's a capable passer, but I would agree with you, Derek, as opposed to those people who said he's making strides, is that while he's capable, that does not necessarily mean he is, you know, great or perfect at it you know he definitely still has some room to grow because it does feel like Embiid is like 
when you when you play against Embiid, it does feel like he has the capability to absolutely control the game offensively if he's making those passes. Because you can't just almost any team in the league does not have the personnel to just single cover Joel. You have to throw that second guy to him. So it always feels like you know he has the propensity to, like you're saying, you know, look to score first. But if he just you know gets the ball and moves it really quickly, there's pretty much nothing the defense can do to react. Absolutely. And I, oh, I don't sorry. think their passing looked bad. Sorry. No. No, 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 you're right. I was going to say, I mean, to your point, I, I was saying it to, uh, you know, in the discussion earlier um, with another like Sixers fan, like if he is able to make that pass and make that read consistently, this offense goes from, let's say, like 12th or 12th, excuse me, and then it automatically jumps to eighth simply because Embiid can punish defenses on a regular basis with that pass and it makes the game easier for the rest of the teammates. But yeah, I mean that's that's one thing is Embiid can anchor an offense and be a razor. In order to be a ceiling razor offensively, he has to make that pass consistently, and that, I mean, that makes him an MVP again. And it was interesting to me that you guys didn't go to Seth Curry as much as I I would have personally. Like he was over four on threes, like he wasn't shooting well, but like he was open, he was getting open consistently. Yeah, and he probably wasn't about to go over six, over seven, no, just knowing the no. quality of shooter he is. Exactly. If he gets those next few shots up, at least two of those are going down, in my opinion. I mean, you know, I don't think that's cra- it's crazy. And that's, say. that's why I also, say, like, I think that the Sixers lost this game more than the Knicks really won it. Also, Tobias had a, a pretty quiet 23-9-9 and game. I mean, he was their best player. I mean, No, I thought he looked nine, solid. But... I mean, he looked good, but it wasn't uh, – uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it just didn't – He was putting – I don't know, it just didn't – He wasn't clamping Julius, but, like, in the in the first half, he was playing really good. I think Julius no, I, was like I, two for nine at one point. Yeah, I'm a big Tobias guy, dude. I think Tobias – Yo, I named my especially dog without Tobias. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, I like Tobias a lot, man. I think he's a really solid player. I think he's, you know, all-star, borderline all-star. He's like that. I feel like people don't give him credit because – you know, if Embiid is such a big name and obviously everything going on with Ben, like Tobias gets a little lost in the shuffle. And also, this is not on-court related, but I do think I just want to shout out Tobias for what he said about Ben on Twitter the other day. You know, I don't know if what your thoughts are on that as a Sixers fan, Derek, but, um, <laughs> you know, I thought that was just great to see because, you know, it does sit rock with me how a lot of people, you know, talk about Ben Simmons and stuff, you know, with him being, you know, potentially mentally not ready, you know, and how the Sixers maybe, you know, thought that meant he was saying something else. But I just thought that was really cool what Tobias said. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. To your point, I think Tobias has been such a professional, uh, even pre the Ben situation. I mean, I, I like what he brings to the locker room. I don't think he's quite the vocal leader I would personally hope for. I think you need, you know, you want your best player to be a leader. Uh, what that means, what type of leader that is, is kind of optional. I think Tobias is a solid leader, and I think what he said was about Ben was the correct thing to say. And I do believe it. I think Toby really does think like that. Uh, in reference to his game, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I thought last year he could have gotten the all-star nod over Ben. I thought Randall was deserving. If Randall didn't have... The same year shooting the three, I think Toby gets in, and I think that's pretty fair that he was a fringe all-star. Because there were a lot of times Harris was bailing the Sixers' offense out a great deal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to me, the only way I thought the Sixers were going to win this game, you know, being a real first real road competition from the, from the Knicks, I thought was Toby would have to have a big game, like at least 25, good efficiency, and on paper, it looks like he had that, but I think those stats kind of lie. He missed a couple, way too many gimmies, way too many open shots, and also didn't get to the line. I'm trying to pull up the stats here. 
He only took, took one free throw. Right, exactly. Got to the line once. Uh, and that's just – it's just unacceptable. His, you know, his plus minus was negative 11. He has nine assists, but honestly, the ball gets really stale at times when he is – especially the ISO guy when he's running with the whole second unit. It's it's tough. He is a really difficult player. I think he could be the third best player on a championship team, but the contract is you know first or second level payment, and that just that hurts. It hurts. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what well, you just articulated what I meant when I said like a quiet twenty three nine and nine game because it feels like it could have been a much bigger game. It's like you know, like you're saying, he missed some bunnies, he missed some open threes. I mean, he definitely could have had you know a little bit of a better game, but I mean, I do think he played pretty well tonight uh, on offense and on defense. But that contract sneaks up on you. I always forget what he's making, and then you know you remember it and you're like, yeesh, he's not getting paid like the third best player, like you're saying. But Mike, I do want to just bring up. Um, also, you know, sorry, sorry to you, Derek, man. I hope Tyrese Maxey's uh, icing his ankles after this game because quickly, quickly hit this man with an absolute dog of a step back and buried the three. Mike, I know you were going wild when you saw that. Quick, I feel so bad because I said that quickly wasn't going to improve. And I just feel like a jackass because he looks so good out there, man. On both ends of the ball, too. And that, dude, I was going wild. I was at, I was at my fiance's parents' house watching the game. <laughs> So I had to keep it pretty tame, but okay. I, I, the fist pump was real. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, listen. yeah, I definitely did not keep it as tame. I kind of, you know, let out. No, I, I, you know, I you know what made me lose it where I got weird looks was the Mitch uh, Fournier MB lockup. I was like, yeah, Mitch. <laughs> They're all like, what is he? Are you okay? Everything all good, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, that was just great to see. And quickly, his defense, like you're saying, Mike, he looks better, man. I'm I'm impressed with his defense. I Dude, think he's, he's a dog. Of, like we kind of knew his offense was going to be solid. He, he yeah. is just he gets after it. It does hurt that he's only playing 15 minutes, though, Mike. That hurts my soul, dog. That was why I can forgive you for the Derrick Rose slander because mm-hmm. I like quick quickly deserves more than 15 minutes, man. And I, I you know, I, I touch on this for months. I've, I've been like, but he just, uh, yeah, that's also another reason why the Derrick Rose thing, because I'm like, dang, I just want to see quickly in there. But I do think, you know, like I said, I think I, I'm just going to pretty, pretty much ready to admit that that was the incorrect take because, um, he is spelling Kemba like absolutely perfectly. Also shout out to Kemba for Yo, taking Kemba a charge. balled out, man, to, you know, on offense, but he took a charge, man, uh, on a, on a, on a kind of a momentum. I think it was when the, when the league got down to 12 or 14 there. Kemba had taken Kemba a charge, took man. More charges last season than the entire Knicks roster. So See, that's wild. <laughs> that's very wild. <laughs> he also, I mean, this is both teams. No pass was safe. Both teams were in the passing lanes all night, and Kemba especially. He was knocking a lot of passes. Uh, deflect, got like some good deflections, which I didn't. I expected Kemba to be like base level competent on defense, like just no, no. good enough to be out there but like he's he's pretty he's impressed me this season like he's he's no a traffic cone or chair oh no bro the one thing about Kemba I mean I've loved him since UConn he's giving you that effort on defense absolutely no doubt you know sometimes he's gonna get abused in switches because he just is five foot nine five foot ten you know not a huge guy but he is gonna give you that effort and that's something you can always expect from Kemba Uh, in the passing lanes rebounds charges man that's what truly endears Kemba to me as a player Obviously, I love the step backs. I love the off the dribble shooting. 
but it's just is something so heartwarming to see, you know, a player his size who, you know, could get picked on pretty easily just put forth so much effort on defense. Yeah, man, when he hit that fate, that shot in Korkmaz's face or whoever's <laughs> face, like, I was just like, yeah, like, Kemba's here. That was that was one of those shots you hit and you're like, yep, this, I'm, I'm on fire. He yeah. had like nine in a row. It was awesome. I, I was going to say that Kemba, that Kemba game was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, he always plays well against the Sixers. Uh, it, what, two years ago dropped, I think, 60 in the loss or close to it. I mean, my yeah. That. And that was, oh, it was tough. Uh, so, yeah, I knew that Kemba was going to have a solid game for sure. And I think to it's fascinating to hear the quickly doubt. I honestly was higher on quickly coming out of the draft than I was Tyrese Maxey, truth be told. And I also I wanted to pick neither of them. I actually was a Desmond Bain guy. Uh, I was willing to take Bain at the 21st if that were me. But in, in either case, uh, quickly is, I think, sneaky good on defense simply because what he lacks, I think, in explosiveness as an offensive player, as a ball handler primarily, he really makes up for it with lateral quickness. And he has a 6'8 wingspan. And I think that is like, that's really what helps his game is he can get low and kind of, as we've said, get in the passing lane, stay active, has good bounce. Yeah, I think quickly how he doesn't get more than 15 minutes a game, I think is, that's a crime. And I mean, that's good problem, certainly for the Knicks. I'm, I didn't know he had a 6'8 wingspan. That's really impressive. And that makes a lot of sense now that you see He's that got action. long arms, yeah. No, and it, you just wonder where the minutes are going to come from because certainly it doesn't look like they're coming. I mean, D. Rose played 20. You know, my guy, Alec Michael Jordan Burks, dude, this man plays with the confidence of Michael Jordan's mid-range game. Alex Burks, you Alec Burks has never seen a mid-range. That. You did not. No, listen, listen, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. I, it's a joke from, you know, last season because there was a stretch where this man was just absolutely money. But this man has never seen a mid-range pull-up he doesn't like, man, Alec Burks. But he played 17 minutes. I mean, I know Burks is a little bit bigger. He can play a little bit up the lineup as opposed to quickly. You just wonder where those minutes are going to come from from quickly because, like you're saying, Derek, man, it is a crime, dude. I, I need to see more quickly. And I think part of that uh, that need, you know, came out uh, lashing out at D-Rose maybe a little bit unfairly. So, uh, you know, I apologize to D-Rose, but I do need to see more quickly, more than 15 minutes, at least 20, uh, if, I, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it's like – you have a strong 10-man rotation. And I thought, honestly, although I'm not a fan of his, I thought, like, Knox and McBride might honestly get, like, or I should say Grimes, not McBride, he's still too raw, but was going to get, like, a little bit more runtime uh, early in the regular season, kind of like Isaiah Joe gets, like, a little bit of leash from Rivers. But, yeah, I mean, for quickly, I guess he's in a tough spot because, like you said, he's got Rose in front of him, Burks is a little bit bigger, and definitely has a more consistent three ball. So it's like, quickly is you know he's not gonna be playing the the three anytime soon so it's a weird combo I think it's a weird combo but yeah I mean this point guard depth on the Knicks is something that they have not had in quite some time and I think that's gonna be a big difference maker it's funny you say that because I thought McBride was gonna sneak into the rotation just because of how good he is on defense and I I thought that he looked a lot better on pick and rolls in the summer league but I, I guess Grimes is definitely since what what we've seen like Grimes is a catch and shoot or catch, what am I trying to say? A three and D <laughs> right away. He's good enough to play from what we've seen. Like, I don't know if you saw any other Knicks games, but like against the Celtics, he played well late. Um, against the Magic, he played well late. Really impressive. So oh, that Celtics game, that Celtics game, that is like might be the legitimate game of the year in the NBA season. 
I mean, that was an insane game. Like, I can't believe we're going to have to Dude, I was going nuts. We're going to have to break it down maybe later this week in depth because, I mean, how many times do you see a game in double overtime with six three-pointers in a row? Like, that was un- unbelievable. I think that might have been in the first overtime, but they just was back to back to back to back. And I can't for the life of me just understand why the Celtics kept going under on Fournier. I mean, how do you not know that I you have getting, to go uh, over the screen on Fournier? I was getting <laughs> Marcus Smart college vibes on that game tying three. Like Luke Oklahoma a- State when he was the guy, you know? Oh, of course. No, listen, I'm glad he made that shot. Because, you know, Celtics fans, they swear that Marcus Smart is a, is a net negative for the Celtics. I, I swear. These people cannot stand Marcus Smart. And I, for me, I'm a Marcus Smart. You know, I'll never say anything bad about him. Minus maybe his shot selection is occasionally spotty. And that's me being generous. Um, but a lot of people do think he's a net negative, And I really can't see that. You know, he just makes winning plays. And it was good to see that one go through. But, uh, man. Fournier, again tonight, he didn't even take that many shots. It felt like he took more shots than he did. He only took 10 shots, but he was 6 to 10. Uh, I don't know, man. I think that's yeah, a that huge was addition. Yeah, there was one play where uh, he was so wide open that he took like a whole 30 seconds to shoot the ball. <laughs> and But other than that, he looked phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I think, like, I wrote down in my notes, Fournier was so needed on this team. like, mm-hmm. And uh, along with Kemba, but Kemba hasn't really shown it until this game. It's like... Fournier is just such a nice, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fail safe like, or just like a, a fallback option. Fallback, you know? yeah. Like when yeah. Julius and RJ can't hit it. It's a safety net. Safety net, thank you. Just exactly what the Knicks needed. Exactly mm-hmm. what they needed. I was going to say that playoff running, you know, playoff experience, I should say, uh, against the Hawks is just <laughs> all the evidence you need that – you know, you needed that insurance policy because it, it was just Randall bulldozing and hoping for the best. And so, yeah, I think Fournier, Kemba, they added depth. And I, I said before, like earlier in the season with the offseason, like some people are disappointed in the Knicks offseason. I loved it because they were showing patience. And that was something that obviously you guys would know. The Knicks have not done too well uh, in the past, we'll just give 15 years. <laughs> so it was nice to see some patience. They can act like a big market when they're actually ready to. So I'm excited to see, you know, the future. And honestly, it shocks me. Randall's still young, which is wild. Like, I, right. I, I thought he was like 28, but pushing 29 any day now. And I'm over here like, oh, wait, so they could be relevant with Randall and then maybe get a star in the future. And Randall's still good, especially if this passing stays up, which, I mean, please uh, do tell. At what point did Julius Randle become such a good passer? I think that didn't happen on the Knicks. I think that was more like a Pelicans, mm-hmm. he acquired it. Because I know he played really well with AD before AD left too. Um, no. Lucas, do you have any? No, it's definitely true that it happened on the Pelicans as when he started to gain it. And I think, but we all know, I mean, the Pelicans have not had great spacing over the last few years. So I think that he wasn't able to maybe show it, didn't show up on paper, certainly in the assist as much. And I just don't think it popped until he got to New York as much and was kind of the focal point of a team. I think it was just put on display a little bit more. But honestly, that is not something I saw coming from Randall, you know, back when he was on the Lakers, like truly making his teammates better around him, just being such a good passer, man. It it is honestly remarkable. I've never viewed Julius Randall as a heliocentric player, but like, the Knicks kind of used him as one last year, and it didn't look horrible. Like, it earned him all-star bid and most approved players. So, it, it was a weird experiment. 
but it worked out. Like the Knicks sure asked Julius Randle to be their heliocentric player, and by some miraculous measure, it worked. It worked. I know. I know. We were talking about this the other day, Mike. There might not be a player I would be, I would like to guard least than than Julius Randle coming straight down the hill at me. Honestly, even if I was, you know, had an NBA frame, you know what I mean, not just myself, but like, just that cannot be good, to, possibly good to guard because. He can stop and shoot. He can pass. He can spin. He can obviously go straight through you. There's not uh, there's not many guys I would like to guard uh, coming straight at me downhill than, than Julius Randle. He is such a multifaceted guy. Like he had like putbacks tonight. He was making the right pass tonight. Like oh, his putback. Uh, he's not limited. You know what I mean? No, his monster like, putback. That monster putback. I couldn't even tell if it was yeah. him or Mitch that dunked it. But I was. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my goodness! That that was bringing me some joy though, for sure. I, I want to ask, you know, uh, like, I, I agree with, uh, I think Reynolds had, you know, a decent ability to pass, even in the L.A. days. I think, especially when those L.A. teams were bad and, you know, just they were trying to be young and exciting. Randall on the fast break was actually fun to watch. And yeah. I, I think the Pels, I think you're right. I think he just got so much usage and he was kind of forgotten because, unfortunately, New Orleans is often forgotten. I think he would have honed, you know, that usage and then. I mean, but the leap that he's been able to do in New York, and I think that's it's interesting because you guys are saying, you know, he was heliocentric last year. It's completely true. I mean, that's what got him the all-star bid, but it still kind of is the same, and it's I'm questioning if it can work. Now, obviously, Kemba, Fournier, Rose, they help, and they take away some of the ball handling duties, but so much of the offense still relies on every possession is one big decision from Randall, and I think... Like, on paper, it's like, well, duh, your star would have to do that, right? Like, I don't know that's the case. Randall has to make an offensive decision on every possession, which is fascinating because it's working pretty well and ha- and worked well last season. But do you think that will keep up this season, or do we think someone on this roster here will take over more responsibility? So I will just say, before I let Mike go, I'll just say I think that there is definitely some credence to what you're saying. I think it will be better for the team if he does not have to make that decision every single time. And now I think the the answer that's right in front of me is RJ, but tonight is not too good a, a night to hang our hat on RJ being uh, you know, an offensive hub. I don't think RJ played the, played the best game offensively. But, Mike, do you see that happening this year or not? Because I think it could be helpful for the Knicks. However, I'm not sure that, that I think it will it's happen. Just so interesting because you got Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, and you're still just giving the ball to, like you said, Derek, giving the ball to Julius and just at, telling him to make a decision, which is just so weird. And when they, like, okay, so tonight, I don't know if you guys remember this play, but Randall got switched. He had a screen from Fournier or something where Curry ended up on Randall and then. He had to pick up his dribble on Curry. He didn't even have to pick up his dribble on Curry, but he did. And then passed to Fournier, and then asked for it back. Harris switched back onto him, and then he took, like, a shitty mid-range shot. And I was like, oh, okay. But, like, A, you could have backed down on Curry and gotten a good shot. B, Fournier got open when there was a switch. I, I just don't think a winning – a championship-winning formula is Julius Randle leading an offense now – like I said, with Kemba and Fournier coming in, I was kind of like, oh, okay, so it, it won't just be Julius running the show. But like you now, you guys have said, that is what the Knicks are doing. Like when the Knicks don't do that, like when they run like Spain pick and rolls with like fucking Emmanuel Quickly and Jericho Sims and Alec Burks, it looks beautiful. 
Like the Knicks mm-hmm. play good basketball without Julius Randle. They, I don't have the statistics to back that up, but I'm extremely confident in it. We need him. Don't get me wrong, but like we don't need him every play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's so interesting hearing that because I I agree with both of your points. I, I just find that. Tibbs obviously has a history of being, we'll call it reluctant on uh, changing certain values. <laughs> and and I think Randall, I mean, you guys got the four seed last year. And while the East got tougher, you feel like it's a, it's a solid recipe. The defense is still there with the Tibbs team. I mean, you can usually bet on being a top 10 defense. It's just funny. It's like, will the Knicks dare to change? in order to reach a higher peak, but potentially sacrifice the floor that you guys have achieved. And I think that's an interesting like dilemma they got. Because I look at these power forwards in, in the the best of the best, they don't operate like Randall. Like Giannis and AD do not even have the same responsibility. Obviously better players. But like I said, when it comes to making a decision on every possession, it feels as though Giannis can take a break. AD can take a break on a given possession and someone else will do something. Now, obviously, the Knicks don't really have the Drew Holiday, Chris Milton, LeBron, etc., to help said Randall. But it's funny watching because it's like his usage should be through the roof. But if not, it's it's got to be close. And so I, I think it's really interesting to watch because Randall is making it work, as we've said. But it does make me question, like, what is the ceiling for the team? What's realistic? Because if Randall gets into the second round, I mean, now he sh- he needs to be talked about like a top 20 player, which is insane mm-hmm. to think about. But, like, he's almost there. Yeah, no, I think you articulated that brilliantly, Derek, as far as are they willing to sacrifice the safety to see what heights they can reach. I think that's a really good way to put it. Because I do agree that, like, I mean, uh, shit, I hope Julius proves me wrong, but I do think there are limitations to an offense that is like that. Um, you know, relying on him so much because, like you're saying, even the best of the best aren't relied on this. And although they don't have a player of LeBron's caliber or, you know, two guys like Chris and Drew, I think, you know, offensively, you know, Fournier, RJ, and uh, Kemba, you know, D Rose, those guys are going to have to make up, you know, some possessions, some time, even quickly. I'll throw quickly in there that, that takes the pressure, um, you know, off of Julius. If they want to, you know, be serious about going to the conference. Derek, so much of what you said intrigued me. Something that you brought up earlier was a lot of people clowned the Knicks offseason. Um, rightfully so. I was nervous going in because we didn't get a lot of the top talent that I wanted. Like, I wanted Lonzo Ball. I wanted DeMar DeRozan. The Bulls got them, but the Bulls are going to get crushed by the Knicks in the next game. So that's okay. The young guys is what really made the difference. And that's why the Knicks are better because Mitch is back and looks better. Obi's back and well, Obi didn't get injured. Obi looks way better. Emmanuel quickly looks way better. All the rookies look more ready than we thought they would. All, so the young guys are really making the difference. And also you said that you forgot that Julius was, I think he's like 26 or 27. That plays into the whole Tibbs hates his young guys. Tibbs doesn't play his young guys. I hate that. I hate that narrative. He does play his young guys. If you actually looked at the Knicks roster and who's getting minutes, like RJ Barrett was 15th in minutes last year and this in the entire league and he was 20 years old so like mitch mitchell robinson is playing extensive minutes now that he's back mitch is but we haven't even talked about mitch that's a whole other topic to get on but um there was something else you said oh julius as i think as the season goes on 
they're they're going to figure out that they don't have to just run the Julius play every single play. And hopefully as they figure out how to maximize this offense, like they're going to be in peak form by the time the playoffs comes. Uh, Tom Thibodeau's teams always are well-seated because they play defense in the regular season and no one else does. So I'm confident that we'll at least be a four to six seed, but we could even do better. I don't know how the Knicks become a contender with better Julius four, Randall. Mike? What'd you say? Better than the four seed? I think they could do better than the four seed. I think they could surprise a lot of people. Listen, I, I, I think, think the East does not look as good as people thought it was. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it definitely depends on what happens at the top there, I guess, with Brooklyn for me. But I do think, personally, I think there are three seeds I can see being the top three pretty clearly. And I do put Atlanta in that. No, No, I have Atlanta as far as being that number three team in the East during the regular season. You know, I do like the Heat. I do think the Heat are a very good team. But I see them... More being a team that is, you know, not that great, or not amazing record-wise during the regular season, but really being able to, you know, ratchet it up during the playoffs. But I think four, I think four to six, four to seven is a pretty solid range. And I also do agree that there's going to be, a, you know, some teams we thought were going to be something in the East are maybe not as good. But in the same vein, I mean, there are teams we didn't think were going to be that good, maybe, or at least general consensus, like maybe the Hornets or the Pacers. You know, I think those teams are fighting for the East. I honestly think 4 through 10 is going to be a bloodbath this year in the East. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before. The East is vast as an ocean and deep as a puddle. Like, a, a, a lot of talent at the top of the rosters. But, like, people didn't consider that you need more than um, who can I make fun of. The Pacers keep making win-now decisions when they have no business being in that idea. Well, they think they are because, like, right. Sabonis and Brogdon are, like, just good enough to have that confidence no i do i mean i do like the pacers i don't know if i like them really as like a team that's going to win a playoff series but i do think the pacers are a good basketball team you know they have carlisle i love duarte i mean like you said Derek, that's a win now move you know drafting a guy that is that age that ready to play um so you know i'm not sure they should be swinging for the fences right now as far as win now but they are so i think that'll make them uh you know tough out every night yeah, absolutely. I think I saw a stat. Uh, the Pacers have not drafted a pick higher than number 10 since 1989. I saw that today. That's wild. And that's, like, terrifying if I'm an Indiana fan. I, I don't understand the rationale. Like, Carlisle is obviously a win-now coach, despite what happened with the Maz last year. I definitely like him more than Jason Kidd, I'll tell you that. And I think... Like, as we said, Broad and Sabonis, good players. I think they can be winning players. But why is Sabonis and Turner still a thing? I don't know. I don't think they can play together. Yeah, that, that's just. Yeah. They're, they're both centers pretending that one of them can be a power forward. And I just don't see that. Uh-huh. Uh, as you said, I mean, I like Duarte as well. That That's a very fair point. But again, 22-year-old rookie, you know, how much of a peak do you really see out of that? Let alone. Like, he's a producer, but you think you're going to compete for the play-in? That's what they're – I mean, they're competing for. Like, I think we can all rattle off eight teams we are feeling very stronger in reference to that can contend for the playoffs in the Pacers. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they're playing. I would agree that they're a playing team. Definitely. And I also agree, man. I don't know what the deal with Sabonis and Miles Turner is. Like, I know they might have wanted to see what Carlisle could do with them. But at the end of the day, you need to play in today's game with one center. You can't play both and one as a power forward. So, I mean, I think they should have been moved on. I don't know. Let's just ask real quick. Who do you guys think they should move on? I mean, as the Cavs. Which are the two? No offense. (laughs) You can play two. No, okay, so, but Mobley is different. Yeah, no, no, I was just joking. Mobley, Mobley, no, I agree with you. Listen, Mike, I'll I'll even say it. I got kind of roasted today for this take, but at one point, I thought that, you know, they were going to have to move off Jared Allen at some point because Mobley would be best utilized at the five. But watching, watching Mobley this year, I mean, he moves different. Like, he moves special for a guy his size. So I think that is, you know, gives them a little bit of leeway. I don't know if you guys disagree or agree with the, you know, move off Jared Allen thing. I got kind of fried today for that, but uh, no, I agree completely. Lucas. I said, I said Mobley makes the most sense for them to draft, assuming they keep the backcourt the same. And I mean, it sounds like they're trying not to keep the back. They're not trying to keep sex land, but that seems to be the case because no one wants to buy him. I, I don't know how they didn't sign and trade Jared Allen. I mean, I like Allen a lot. I mean, Anyone that can keep an Afro relevant, like you deserve a place in the league. But <laughs> but seriously, like he's a good ball player, and I think a team that's missing a center could use his services. But drafting Mobley, knowing he's your big for the future, and knowing Allen really has no prospects of spacing anytime soon, sign and trade your asset that, I mean, I thought Colin Sexton had more value, but clearly the league thinks that Allen has more value because – he had a market offer of 25 mil, and the Cavs said, oh, I guess we got to pay him 25 mil a season. So trade Allen, get another asset back, preferably young or in the form of draft picks. Keep Mobley. I don't know why you get Lowry marketing, but I don't know what Cleveland's doing anyway. Yeah, no, I have no idea. I mean, he okay. yammed on you. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Exactly. exactly. Contract uh, vindicated because he yammed on you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think Mobley. 100% moves different. I, and again, it's going to be hot take-ish. I'm not saying he's going to be this guy, but he reminds me a great deal of KG, who is like an inch or two taller. Yeah, I think Mobley's got like insane potential. Agreed. And honestly, I think he could be the best player out of the draft. No, I don't think that's, I know it's we're four games in, but I don't think that's crazy, man. His ceiling is so high. And, you know, Derek, it's good to hear that you say that because I was kind of feeling like, damn, was that a stupid take? <laughs> like, because there was yeah, a room up. full of people telling me that I was ridiculous for thinking that. But I'm like, at the end of the day, I've seen Mobley best at the five. You know, like, as even if he can play the four, I figured he would be best at the five. And, you know, if they nail a Jared Allen trade, I do agree. Probably should have signed and traded him. You know, that would have been better asset management. But if they do find, you know, a team that can trade him, um, like you said, for some young maybe player and draft picks, I think that Cleveland could actually be onto something. But, Mike, that Lowry Markkinen dunk. You know, when I'm asking myself who had a better dunk, Jalen Brown or Lowry Markkinen, it's just bizarre week. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We live in a different kind of world when when that's the case. Yeah, I, I think Cleveland had such a prime opportunity to make the best offseason moves. Like, honestly, better than Chicago, which, I mean, we can get into because obviously you guys are going to play Chicago pretty shortly. Uh, I mean, Cleveland had the chance to move off of Sexton and I think get something. They had the opportunity to move off of Jared Allen and get something. And I think they could have partnered Kevin Love's terrible contract with an Allen or Sexton 
and actually got something. And again, some of this might just be draft capital and saving your salary cap, but building with Garland, Mobley, and I guess Okoro is the next most interesting piece, like actually is something. But Cleveland's like buying on Jared Allen, who I think is 25, if I'm not mistaken. Like, Mm -hmm. are you pretending that you're going to compete for the play-in? Because that's what it feels like. You're pretending that you're going to (laughs) compete. Right, right. They might be entertaining, but I don't – yeah, they're not actually competing. um, It was like meme level, like, oh, okay, you're going to sign Jared Allen. So that means you're not going to draft Evan Mobley, right? They draft (laughs) Evan Mobley. I'm like, oh, okay, you drafted Evan Mobley, so that means you're not going to go get Lowry Marketing, right? They go get Lowry Marketing. I'm like, what the – what? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, it's – and I have a, a friend who's, you know, a close friend who's a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. And he, he texted me, I can't believe how bad the Sixers are playing tonight. I'm like, I could roast you at any <laughs> point during the week for you even thinking Cleveland deserves NBA existence because they are just making all of the wrong moves. Uh, although I think Mobley was the right pick. I, but, uh, I do want to go. Sorry, go, go I was for just going to say with Sexton, it's like it makes no sense to me because like I felt like he just got trashed during all the trade talks and someone said it. 20 point per game scorers don't grow on trees. Like, and he get, you know, they say he's not a great passer. They say he's not great on defense. Like he's playing on the Cavs. Like take it easy on him. I think he had like two or three assists per game last year. And he had like eight potential assists. <laughs> he just, right. he's an NBA poverty. Like yeah. put him on a good team and a good franchise. He's going to just do fantastic. You know, I, I liked Sexton a lot coming out of the draft. And I mean, he does leave some things to be desired, you know, in both those areas. But like you're saying, man, 20-point-per-game scores don't grow on trees. But then to draft another small guard, like, the next year, like, don't – Yeah. I love Garland. As a, I love Garland as a player. And listen, I think he, I like him over Sexton for sure. Okay, but just drafting those two back-to-back, it's like, did you expect them to succeed? You know, putting them in the scenario, and it's kind of where in the – same situation, I guess, with two bigs now, but Mobley, I think, is different. Mobley seems like a generational guy defensively to me. Like, no, he's not yeah. generational playing right now, but he has the potential to be. Oh, 100%, 100% Lucas, and I'm glad to hear that uh, I got two people that actually are cool with Sexton because I'm a big Sexton fan, and I just feel like, you know, you say that on Twitter and you're, you're liable to get blasted. Just because I, I agree, I think his scoring is legit. I think it's not a, a case of a high usage, you know, low uh, impact number. I think I agree his assist could be higher if he was playing on a more competent roster. Uh, but also if the offensive system actually catered to him and they didn't just give a ball handler the keys to the offense the very next year as a rookie who also is coming off an injury, like – None of the decisions made sense to have Sexton succeed. And despite being 6-1, I think he plays with a lot of hustle on defense, which doesn't mean he's going to be, like, a tremendous positive on that end or anything like that. But that's enough. I mean, we're seeing Kemba Walker at 31 be okay, like a neutral on a good defensive team. If that's the case, then Sexton can absolutely do it in his sleep. So I I agree. This this Sexton hate has to stop. Uh, Free Sexton, please. And this was brought to you by Cavs Lead. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even know what sent us. I don't know what sent us on the Cavs rabbit hole. But um, oh, just terrible, you know, like, te- terrible teams that think they're gonna be in the play-in. Right, 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 right. But you know, like you said earlier, Derek, we got the Bulls this week, Mike. How are you feeling about this one? I know there's a lot of talk about Bulls being, you know, the next big thing in the East. Uh, you know, I'm really excited for this. 
I've been talking a whole lot of smack um, about the Bulls because I'm honestly salty that we didn't get DeMar and that we didn't get Lonzo. So I said that Lonzo and Levine would be, or I'm sorry, Lonzo and DeMar would be horrible for Levine spacing. I was wrong. I said that the Bulls wouldn't be able to survive without a rim running center. I was wrong. However, the Knicks are still going to blow them out of the water. Mitchell Robinson is going to completely just dunk Nikola Vucevic into oblivion. I just want the Knicks to crush the Bulls very badly. And I I hope they do. Listen, Um, I'm in Chicago, Mike, and I'm really considering going to this game. Um, but I also kind of slandered the Bulls, man. I really did. I don't like their defense. You know, I know they have my guy Caruso. He's a great defender, at least, you know, a pretty good point. I should say pretty good point of attack defender is what I meant by great defender. But, you know, I didn't like the Vucevic trade, but, you know, I, I just really hope the Knicks come out here and smack them too, because I, you know, have been kind of harsh on the Bulls. You know, they have looked good. They look fun. You know, I like DeRozan as a player. I really like Lonzo. Lonzo in New York, you know, Mike, that would have been different levels of electric, man, if he was in the garden. Can you imagine? I know. I know. But we don't need to but get hung up on that. We have IQ, man. The Knicks are going to expose the Bulls' weaknesses, right? Like, who who's guarding Mitch? Who's – like, the Knicks play extremely tough perimeter defense. Like, they never take a playoff. They're always contesting everything. Like, I think this is going to be the Bulls – um, I can look at the game. I think they've played mostly bad teams, but I could look at that. I think this is going to be the Bulls' first real test. Um, Derek, did you want to say something? No, I was going to, I was going to say I, I agree that this is the Bulls' first real test, uh, similar to, well, not the Sixers actually at the Nets, but I, I thought like a first real road because, uh, I mean, Brooklyn isn't really like a great home turf, uh, to be honest. Certainly not. Massive. It's not. Bunch of um, gentrifiers, KD <laughs> fans, so anti-vaxxers that wanted to get in. So Yeah, uh, that was wild. The other day, but it's yeah, a conversation was, for another day, I think. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, I think, uh, no, I think Chicago, it's it's funny because I, I was talking about I praise New York for its patience as a big market. But Chicago, I actually liked their offseason because they acted like they are a big market. And they finally did that, which they haven't done in some time. The only thing I would question long term is the DeRozan trade. Uh, Thad Young's my guy. I thought he would have helped tremendously on defense uh, this year since there are quite a few question marks uh, on defense, as you said, Lucas, with the Chicago team. But I think Caruso is a really good defender. I think Lonzo is a good defender. And I think that's covering up a lot of mistakes. I'm curious if they can maintain that against the Kemba, D-Rose combo and uh, Fournier. Because I think otherwise, if Patrick Williams is back, I think he can do okay on Randall. And I think Mitch just isn't an offensive threat. He also picked up five fouls in this game, which, again, Embiid, you know, tough matchup. But Vooch is no slouch. And if Vooch can get Mitch in foul trouble, then I think you got a real problem on your hands because that will open the floodgates. And Vooch is a terrific interior scorer. So even if Levine is off or DeRozan middies aren't going – the Bulls can beat you in a lot of different ways, and I think that that will be a real test for the Knicks as well, where the Sixers lack some depth. The Bulls, I think, have some, at least in the scoring department. My only real counter to that is I think, and you probably disagree with me on this, but I thought some of the calls on Mitch tonight were bullshit. 
I didn't think uh, like there were two or three where I, was, where I was like, really, come on. I was there was um, one. Bad I, I also call. I, I would say one bad call. Uh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about for sure. There was, was one um, egregious one. Right. And he also and, just. No, I was going to say one bad call. And I mean, I agree that Mitch has a history of getting in foul trouble when he's probably not deserving of that. But that is one problem for Robinson is like, can he stay on the floor? And for uh, if it's not foul trouble, then it's yeah. health. So if Mitch can still be like on the court for at least like 65 games consistently this season, then the next defense is going to look probably even better than it did last year to a degree. Uh, but I think that is a real challenge because Vooch is, Vooch is a little more, I don't want to say diverse, but I think simply because he's more intrigued with getting on the low block where Embiid is fine on the high block and working the baseline. Vooch will kind of just dig his shoulder in you more, which could get Mitch into foul trouble. So that's my only like concern in that regard. Yeah, you know, I I think you're right, but I the Knicks fan in me has to contest you. Um, I I would also say that he just played the best defense he's played all year on arguably the best offensive player in the league in Joel Embiid. So if you know if there's anyone's up to the challenge, it's Mitch. You know, he's not going to back down, and I think he. I don't know. He doesn't seem like a guy who watches film. I'm, I mean, he's a professional basketball player, so I kind of assume that he does, but he seems to know his matchups well. Like, he, he knows who he's defending, you know? And I also, you said that he's not much of an offensive threat, which is completely true, but like when he's in that dunker spot, he's just so, so valuable to this Knicks team because they're so used to Nerland's Noel. And I hate to trash Taj, but even Taj Gibson, like, isn't as valuable like you can't drive and dump off to to them the same way you can with Mitch they're not lob threats the same way Mitch is like and Kemba Fournier RJ Julius quickly Obi all of those guys are finding Mitch all of them he's always there if you're driving so I that 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 it really is Mitch is undervalued no, I agree, Mike. I mean, Mitch is just in a different uh, tier of finisher inside than Nerlens or Taj. Like like you're saying, in that dunker spot, there was one play in the second quarter where the ball was flying around. Julius attacked the rim and kind of did one of those nice, you know, wrap around the defender passes, dropped it off to Mitch. And, and I'm not going to say it was in traffic, but it definitely was not a wide open dunk. You know, Mitch went up and finished. That's something just Nerlens and Taj don't have. Um, so that does add just a little bit of an offensive element uh, when Mitch is out there. Well, you know, of course, you know, rolling to the rim as well. He's pump faking too. Like I know that sounds stupid, but like he wasn't even doing that in his first two seasons. He was he would just go straight up for the dunk, and I mean half the time it worked because he's so athletic. He also did a great job using his strength. Uh, I thought that he's he 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 put on muscle in the off season. And it seemed like he hadn't really figured out how to use said muscle through the first couple of games. And then in this game against Embiid, it was like, this is why Mitch got big. This is why Mitch bulked up. Like, numerous times I saw Embiid try and really bully him. And, I mean, he moved him, but it wasn't, like, anything catastrophic. Like, I say all this to say Mitch looks amazing on defense. He sure does, bro. Yeah, his defense is definitely not to be uh, questioned. I completely agree with the lob threat and you know being valuable in the dunker spot. I do want to pivot real quick because we brought up his name earlier tonight. He did not have the best game, and I've picked him as like 
amongst my top five, can you make or break seasons, I guess? Like, can you take the leap or are you going to stay down below? And that's R.J. Barrett. I think R.J. is going to be stuck with the task of trying to guard Zach Levine. I think for a, a majority of the matchup. And I'm curious, what, what do you think? I have a take where I think RJ can open up his game more if he can do this one skill. And I want to ask the both of you, what do you think that skill is? Obviously, he's not like a perfect player or doesn't have multiple things to work on. But what's one skill do you think would really open up his Mike, you go first. You go first. I'm intrigued. Hmm. Because this is a tough question because, like you said, he has multiple things he needs to improve on. I would, I don't want to say passing because I don't even feel like that's his biggest weakness or like what would elevate him the most. I don't, I, I'm going to, I don't know if, I feel like this isn't what you're going to say, but in my opinion, it's decision making because I feel like he gets tunnel vision and he's, he makes the read before he even like, is in the play. Like on a pick and roll, like he's already like, okay, I'm going to keep the ball and go to a mid range or on a fast break. He's like, I'm going to dunk the ball. It's not like, Oh, I see someone open. I'm going to pass. It's I've already, it's kind of like Embiid's thing with score first. You know, I I want RJ to be less score first and more team oriented. But then again, he only scored 10 points tonight. So (laughs) I don't know if I really have a good uh, base for that take but that that's no his decision bro tunnel vision bro the phrase tunnel vision has been on rj's scouting report since he was 16 years old dude you are pretty you hit the nail on the head with that one dude rj makes a lot of his decisions you know he predetermines them at least that's what it looks like on uh to me and he's least. improved a little you know i know i heard he, that like he's making yeah. second reads and stuff like that but it, it still happens way too often like it's a problem <laughs> and then i would say derek what i would say is uh mike we've talked about this a little I would say is off the dribble shooting, you know, draw shooting off of pick and rolls. Like if he can run a pick and roll off the dribble into a three pointer, I think that's going to open up the offense a lot. But I'm curious to hear what you what your actual skill is that you think you should uh, improve and it could open everything up. Also, is it offense or defense? Let's just see. So my uh, my skill is offensive related. I don't know if you two want to jump in and take like nah, a second you might guess, as well just let it, let it go at this point. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it is passing for me, and while I agree decision-making is probably the bigger branch of that, in the, I'll, I'll say, like, roughly 16 Knicks games I watched start to finish last season. To me, RJ had the most confidence on the floor as when he was setting up his guys and essentially got an assist. It wasn't when he hit a contested three. It wasn't when he got a dunk. It wasn't when he got like a nice steal block or made a defensive play. He seemed to completely open up as a playmaker. And I wanted to see that this season take more responsibility, uh, which as we've discussed, and we mentioned his name before of who's going to take the ball out of Randall's hands when he needs a break and you want to break the heliocentric offense that you had last year. We were thinking it was R.J. Barrett, but we also don't think that he will do it just yet or have the opportunity. And I think playmaking is the next thing that will open everything up. He'll get more confidence. The guy I – and I don't mean to compare him to, but one guy who like I need – I see needs to get going by making his shot first is Joe Harris. And Joe Harris has struggled immensely this season, 
because he's trying to put the ball on the floor and he doesn't make a three-pointer first. Like, if he makes a corner three, Joe Harris after that looks like a really, like, okay or good NBA player. To me, when RJ gets an assist or runs a play as a ball handler and it goes well, that's when he becomes like, okay, I'm an actual third overall draft pick and I can be really good. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I hope you don't mind if I go first, Lucas, because I know you no, can't no, dip, so if you want to get ahead, something in. No, go ahead. I just agree. Uh, I think um, you hit the nub. It's funny because I don't think – I think with a lot of guys who are score first, like I said, like they don't seem as excited as some do when they make that pass, like you're saying, like that that good assist that really gets you your moment, momentum going. Like Colin Sexton doesn't really seem to give a shit when he makes a great pass. And I, I could be wrong, but that's just the example I'm using. Like, RJ seems, like, thrilled. Like, he just he's like a team guy, right? Like, him and Frank Nitlakina were best friends. Like, RJ loves being on this team. He loves his teammates. And I think that's a big reason of why that gets him going so much. Like, and I, I mean, I agree with him. I, I always, when I played basketball, I not much of a career, but <laughs> I always, it felt better to set a teammate up and have them hit a nice shot than to hit your own shot. I mean, depending, but, you know, RJ's passing. I Like, okay, so is that where you want to see him improve, or is that where you think he needs to improve? So I think needs just for the sake of, like I said, instilling confidence. When he hit, he had, if I'm not mistaken, he had the first, not eight, but he had eight of 11 points in the first quarter of this game. And while he was hype after he made that one contested three, I want to say it was over Curry or something. He was hype, but it was more of a, a sigh of relief afterwards. He's like, yeah, and then get back. But when I see him make an assist or make a pass that leads to a bucket, it's like his eyes just open up and it's like, okay, this is my element. It's like he just loosens up, like his stance gets wider on defense. It's it's fun, yeah. but it's something I've noticed. So I think he needs it for him to grow as a player. I think he could still obviously be more than a functional rotation piece for any team as he currently is, but I think his offense will look cleaner, obviously because he's a playmaker that always adds value, but I think he just gets energized and you need an energized RJ to actually contend. And I, yeah, I was, I just want to say, Derek, I love how much you see the human element of the game. I feel like that goes by a lot of people, you know, picking up on body language and things like that. Um, but as far as I just want to say, I forgot I had a note. I mean, it didn't, not going to show up in the stat sheet. Uh, this is like six minutes left in the first quarter. RJ ran a pick and roll going to his right. I don't know if you guys remember this because it didn't end up in a basket. But he was going to his right, and then he kind of made an overhead whip pass to Fournier. Absolute dime. You know, Fournier ended up missing the three-pointer. But that was a pass, yeah. especially with his weak hand, that really, really, really impressed me. So uh, I do think that, you know, that's a leap that can really open up the offense because you could tell nobody on the Sixers' defense – and, you know, frankly, not even myself, you know, even anticipated RJ making that pass, you know, straight off the dribble, that whip pass. So I think that really could open things. I think part of why the Knicks like RJ is because he's not. And I, I really don't like that this has become what the league is like. And this is no disrespect to Kobe whatsoever, but like the whole like Mamba mentality, like players like Zach Levine, like like mostly offensive guys is what I'm saying, like guys who really just score the ball. And I, I think that's what a lot of people um, ideate. RJ as like he's going to be this like 30 point per game scorer and I, that's just not who he is I think he he 
really should try and mold himself into more of like a Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard. Um, Cause that's really what this Knicks team needs is like a top tier perimeter defender who can pass well and still hit shots as needed. Cause RJ can drop 30. Like he definitely has that in him, but he also doesn't seem like he wants to do it every night. He seems like he just wants to win every night. And if that means him just playing defense and hitting a few threes, so be it. But he still has those flashes of like, oh, like he has a bag. Like, oh, like he's hitting a back down, you know, ISO mid-range shots. Like he's dunking on people. So people get confused because he's just, uh, that's cocky to say. I was going to say people get confused because he's such a good player. But like he just so he just shows so much mm-hmm. as a player. Just a Swiss Army knife. Um, on crack (laughs) yeah and i think it's fair to say that was brilliant analogy right there mike i also think it's fair to say that you know although he can score 30 that's not really what the knicks even need him to do right now obviously they need him to be you know a consistent scoring presence but i think what you know Derek was bringing up this entire conversation about um rj's passing is really what's going to unlock the knicks you know ceiling as a team i think that's more what they need out of him as opposed to this player who a lot of people think (sighs) well i'm (laughs) I love this. This went a lot longer yeah, this than was I awesome. thought it would. I mean, I, I'm all gassed out. I got, all my, I got all my notes out. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to throw in there. No, I mean, I, I thought it was a, a great game. <laughs> well, okay. We <laughs> out of the game, definitely not a great game, at least for my Sixers. But, no, it's a terrific time. And, I mean, I love talking NBA basketball really about any team, any situation, and happy to do it with you two. It was a great time. Sure, man. Appreciate you coming on, man. Was just, seriously, it was a pleasure tonight. You guys got the Pistons coming up. We got the Bulls, so that should be fun. Derek, what's your ad on Twitter? Uh, Twitter at, as I have to, like, double-check because I forget, like, <laughs> what it actually uh, will show up as. But Twitter is at Derek R. Stein. I know, super original. <laughs> and uh, make sure to follow Derek. Make sure to follow Sixers lead, Knicks lead, Lucas's. L-U-C-A underscore Gainer. I am at Perry Much So. I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to plug, but fantastic show. I had a great time. Yeah, it's pretty much all for me, man. You know, like Likewise, Mike. Had a great time talking to you both. Appreciate you. Appreciate- yeah, absolutely. The last thing I want to say, I will be getting my uh, own pod up and running. Hopefully, uh, hopefully by, I'm trying for like next month. I'm con- kind of converting a loft I have in my house at the moment into a podcast room. But obviously, we'll be doing calls like this and such, halftime, Zoom, Discord, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, once it's up and running, you will absolutely hear from me. I'd love to have you guys on. But yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Great time, guys. Awesome, man. I can't wait to hear it. Appreciate it. Yeah, it will be uh, all NBA-based, obviously, a hint at Sixers. But I like to talk all teams. I feel like I catch – I aim to catch at least eight games from every team. It's so tough. Full games, obviously. Uh, It's hard. It's brutal. The West Coast teams kill me, and obviously uh, I'm going to miss them tonight. But we uh, we do what we can. Yeah, no, the, the league pass condensed games, dude. Then I can watch a game in 40 minutes, you know, the next day after. That really saves me, bro, honestly. Like, to all possessions, you know, but they cut out the meaningless stuff. Um, you know, I like to watch games in full, obviously live, but it's impossible to watch, you know, five games in one night. So, you know, league pass be saving me, but – uh yeah, pleasure, man. I can't wait to hear that pod. I'd love to make a love to make an appearance, dude. Can't wait to hear. Appreciate it, boys.